0: Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a cryptid podcast. I'm your host, Josh. For anyone new to the podcast, welcome. Each week I come out with a new episode about a cryptid or cryptids that I find super fascinating and weird. And if you don't know what a cryptid is, that's okay. It is defined as an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Cryptids don't have to be supernatural or mythical beings, although many of them are. Some cryptids have actually become documented animals. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, and check out the posts I make for each episode and maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. Just a reminder that these next 11 or so episodes will be dedicated to some lesser-known cryptids from each of the states I drove through on my road trip from California to New Jersey. Each episode, I will be covering one, two, three cryptids from those states, plus there will be some weird clubs thrown in along the way, so buckle up, because this is going to be a spooky ride. This week, we are talking about something that I can say I have kind of experienced. In Utah, there is a place where aliens, cryptids, and ghosts all appear. That's right. Today, we are talking about the infamous Skinwalker Ranch. Okay, so I want to start by saying that when I was writing this episode, I got really freaked out. Like, I had to stop and start so many times. I know that sounds silly, but my boyfriend and I camped near Skinwalker Ranch. We stayed at a campsite by a lake, and it had a clear view of the sky over the ranch. So if there were UFOs or any strange lights, we'd be sure to see them. But we didn't see anything because we were so creeped out by the area that we went to a drive-in movie and then straight to sleep. I slept with an axe in my hand all night. There's a very strange feeling around there, a feeling of danger and depression. My boyfriend, who truly doesn't believe in any cryptids, aliens, or ghosts, even said that the place was strange. But I'll tell you the stories of this place, and you can decide what you think is going on there. So there is a fantastic website called SkinwalkerRanch.org, and there's amazing information on there. They created a timeline of events... But first, you need to know where the ranch is. It is located in northeastern Utah, in what is called the Uinta Basin. It is surrounded by cliffs and mountains on three sides. The ranch covers about 512 acres of land. It borders the Ute Indian Reservation, which is also known as the Uinta or Uray Reservation. The Uinta Basin has stories of a cryptid I'm sure you know by name. The skinwalker the stories date back to the 1800s when the european colonists started moving further west pushing out the native american tribes who had resided there for more than a thousand years there's a legend that might explain a small part of the ranch's mysteries sometime between 1861 and 1865 during the civil war some ute tribe members started taking orders from a union army man named kit carson They were in a battle against another tribe, the Navajo people. The Ute were also known for abducting Navajo and selling them into the Spanish slave trade. During this battle is when there was a supposed curse put on the land. A skinwalker was created. I will do a full episode on skinwalkers because there are so many tales and sightings to this day all around North America. But what you need to know now is that a skinwalker is a person usually of Native American descent, that has the power to transform into any animal they choose. So in Navajo culture, skinwalkers can assume different forms based on their need, but a lot of the stories say that they take the form of wolves or dog-like creatures. The point is that since they are not humans anymore, they cannot be killed or injured in the same way others can. The only way to kill them is with a direct blow to the neck region. But the other terrifying part is that skinwalkers have the ability to read minds, using it mainly to know what scares people and then use that information to instill fear and control their victims. So going back to when the Navajo and Ute people put a curse on the land, that skinwalker apparently still lives in the basin near a place called Shadow Canyon. Apparently, local tribe members avoid the area at all costs for fear of angering it. Alright, so now that we have talked about the origins of the land, let's dive in to Skinwalker Ranch. Stories started in the early 1900s when the first owners came to the land. Their names were John and Emma Myers. They reported a strange occurrence they had. 1905. Another family had moved into a little sliver of the property. They recall a time when a visitor appeared on their property. The stranger was wearing normal, time period appropriate clothing, except they noticed something odd underneath, a blue one-piece outfit. The man asked for a glass of water and talked with the family, just small talk, and when he finished, he walked off and disappeared. According to future generations, the man at one point told the family not to dig on the property. Then again, in 1915, a different man comes to the ranch and asks for a glass of water. He appears to be in normal clothing, except underneath they can see a blue sparkling jumpsuit. And then the man just disappeared. No one ever got an explanation for who or what they were seeing at the time, but this will come into play later. Now, other than occasional lights in the sky, nothing was really reported about the property. Now, here is when things get crazy. The property was sold in 1994 to Terry and Gwen Sherman. It became known as the Sherman Ranch. The Shermans had kids and moved out there to have more land for their cattle farm, so they brought their herd too. The Shermans loved the property and were curious why it had been unoccupied for seven years, but their curiosity didn't get the better of them. They were told something when they signed the lease as well. The Shermans were told that they could not dig on the land unless they consulted with the previous owners first. They agreed and never really thought of it again. But when they moved in, they began to notice strange things around and inside the house. There were heavy iron stakes with metal chains at the end of the house, as though someone had chained up large animals to guard the doors. And then on the inside... There were padlocks bolted onto many of the doors, inside and out, suggesting that previous occupants were concerned for their safety. But the Shermans just chalked it up to overly cautious previous owners. That is, until strange things began happening to them. 1994. The Sherman family had arrived on their ranch with furniture and other belongings. When something strange happened, as Terry's father, Ed, stood outside, a large wolf approached. The couple reported that it was larger than any wolf they had seen before. They estimated it weighed around 200 pounds, and it must have been around 4 feet tall, because the wolf was chest height to Terry and Ed, who are both over 6 feet. The wolf didn't seem aggressive or hostile. Actually, quite the contrary. It seemed like a lost pet eager for attention, the wolf even started to brush up against the men. They noted a strong smell of wet dog. Gwen was watching nearby, protecting the children, who she instructed to stand on the truck bed. But when she saw how sweet the animal was, she let them go over and pet the wolf. They showered it with attention and begged to keep it as a pet, but just as they did, the wolf sprinted over to the fenced-in area where the Angus calves were and grabbed a calf. The wolf tried to pull the calf through the fence. Terry ran over and started to kick the wolf in the ribs, and then grabbed a stick and began hitting the creature as hard as possible, but the wolf wouldn't let go. And even more, it seemed unfazed by the attack. Terry told his son, Tad, to hand him his gun, and when he got it, he shot the wolf, point blank, twice. Both of those bullets should have killed the beast, but it did nothing. The wolf still had a hold of the calf, so Terry shot one more time. This one seemed to have caught the attention of the wolf, who let go and backed up a couple feet. Terry took another shot, striking it in the heart, but the wolf was not hurt. Ed grabbed his shotgun and shot at the wolf. This time, they saw where the shot hit because fur and flesh went flying, but the wolf just backed up more and stared at them. Then Ed shot it again, and more fur and flesh flew. The wolf just calmly trotted away. Ed and Terry went running after the wolf to kill it once and for all, but as they followed its tracks, they seemed to lose it. But it wasn't normal. The tracks just seemed to end, as if the creature had just vanished into thin air. Holy cannoli. I have heard this story so many times, and it still freaks me out every single time. Now, You'd think the family would have taken this as some kind of warning, but alas, they didn't. <laughs> this was when other occurrences began, and it wasn't the last of the beasts they saw before. One day when Gwen was coming home from work, she saw something out of the corner of her eye. She then realized what it was, the same wolf or beast from before. It slowly walks up to her car and stares at her through the windshield, but it wasn't alone. There was another thing with it a large black dog-looking thing, but it looks off, according to Gwen. The head looks too big for its body. Gwen speeds off and drives to the police station and reports what she saw. The police officer tell her that it's almost impossible because there are no wolves in the area. In fact, 1929 was the last time a wolf was seen in the state of Utah. So, The police later gave her pictures of different species to see if she could say which she saw. I mean, maybe they do have a wolf population, and it would be a huge deal for the state, so they have to investigate. But when they show her different species, she picks out a dire wolf, an extinct species, for more than 10,000 years extinct. Maybe she just misidentified it. Gwen just chose to believe that. Now, the sightings of strange beasts didn't stop. Terry and Gwen were leaving the ranch for the day when they noticed something chasing the horses in the field. At first, they thought it was a dog, but when they got out of their truck, they saw it was no dog. Whatever it was had reddish-brown hair and a large, bushy tail. It had a similar body shape to a hyena, but when the beast saw them coming, it ran away. Terry tried to go after whatever it was, but it left no tracks. Not even a single paw print. What it did leave were scratches on the horses. Like I said, this was only the beginning of the strange occurrences. The Shermans would see glowing balls of light hovering in the sky, and then there would be multiple lights just hovering. And in one occurrence, Terry says that when he looked through his scope on his gun at one of the orbs, he sees a bright blue sky, as if it were a window to something else or somewhere else. Voices that seemed to come from directly above their heads began making the family's concerns grow more and more. Then faces started to peer in windows, which then escalated to apparitions standing at the foot of their beds. The Sherman family began reporting terrifying nightmares filled with their worst fears, but somehow they were able to put it behind them and continue to live there. But activity just escalated. Now objects would disappear and then reappear some other place. For example, Gwen was bringing in groceries and had unloaded them from their bags onto the counter. She got distracted by something and turned around for a second. When she looked back, all of the groceries were back in the bags, as though she had never unpacked them. But it was easy to write off some groceries until Terry had his own disappearing object trick that was not as easy. One day, Terry left a post hole digger outside. It's a piece of equipment that weighs over 70 pounds. And as you probably guessed, it is for digging. Terry leaves to go get a wrench from his truck. And when he comes back, the digger is gone. He was only away for maybe five minutes. But when he finds it, it is hanging from a tree. Even after those many red flags, the family stayed in the house and on the ranch, because although these were weird occurrences, nobody was getting hurt. At least, not yet. Terry began finding his cattle dead in the fields, but they didn't die of natural causes. No, some were mutilated beyond belief. Their genital areas completely picked apart, but the weirdest one was when they found a cow with its eye completely removed with what looked like surgical precision. And it only got worse. The cattle began just disappearing. It wasn't like they were running off either. Many of them vanished without a trace, leaving a trail of hoof prints behind them, which completely destroyed Terry's business. He lost 20% of his herd in two years, which is excessive compared to the normal 1% rate that most ranchers in the area face. The orbs that seemed harmless at first began to pursue the cattle and would linger over their heads. Now, Terry's cattle were Angus beef cattle. These cows cost thousands of dollars. So for them to just go missing was not an option for the family. They had to start making the decision on whether they should stay on the property or leave. And what's worse is that activity never ceased. It would only get worse They reported that one night, a light appeared from the sky, and it completely covered the area, shining so bright it looked like it was daytime. Then, strange animals started appearing around the ranch, like bright tropical birds were spotted in the trees. Birds you would never find in Utah, let alone the United States. Then, their own pets started to become fearful. Their dogs would refuse to leave their dog houses, not even for food and water. Six of their outside cats... Disappeared in a single night. The final straw finally came. One night, their beloved dogs were outside the house being chased around by one of the orbs. Terry started to tell the dogs to get the lights. The dogs turned on the lights and began to pursue them. And then the lights disappeared into the night with the dogs. The family hoped that the dogs had caught them until they heard the yelps. Terry ran to find the dogs, but couldn't. The next morning, the family found three scorched circles in the ground. In those circles were the scorched bodies of their dogs. Like I said, this was the final straw for the Sherman family. The family was so afraid that in their last few days on the ranch, they all slept in the same room. But before they left, they told their story. Ironically enough, to the same newspaper from the Bear Lake Monster Story, The Desert or Deseret News. The article was written by Zach Van Eyck and came out on June 30th in 1996. In the article, they talk about how the family has seen three specific types of UFOs reportedly during the past 15 months. They explained one was a small box-like craft with a white light, another is a 40-foot-long object, and lastly, a huge ship the size of several football fields. They also said they have been seeing some lights that have emerged from orange circular doorways that seem to appear in midair. The article says they have caught it on video, but unfortunately, I personally couldn't find it. But the article goes on to talk about crop circles they have found on the property. It also said that one of the lights followed Gwen's car on her way home from work one night. There was another little story that Terry told and I found it kind of creepy. He said that he was in the field one day when he heard male voices speaking in an unfamiliar language. The voices seemed to be about 25 feet above him, but Terry couldn't see a thing. The dogs were frantic. They barked and growled before running off to the ranch house. I'm not sure why that freaked me out so much, but it it really does. The Shermans really believe the UFOs are directly linked to the cattle mutilations and disappearances, but they aren't alone in that. The thing is that a lot of farmers didn't report it to the authorities due to their inability to help. But a lot of people turned to someone else for help. Joseph Jr. Hicks was a retired junior high school teacher from Roosevelt, and he was the man the town turned to. Hicks investigated more than 400 UFO sightings in the Uinta Basin since the early 1950s. In the article, he said that reports have been in the thousands, and some have been directly related to cattle mutilations. Hicks went on to say, over the years, at least a half dozen eyewitnesses have told him they saw living beings in the windows, or portholes of UFOs. The Sherman sightings are, according to Hicks, extraordinary for their number, duration, and quality. But what they've witnessed is hardly unusual for the Uinta Basin. He estimates that around 10% of the population of the Uinta Basin has seen something. Hicks said, I think what's happening is we are being visited from beings from another world or some other place. I think primarily it's research and exploration. Joseph Jr. Hicks sadly passed away this year in June, so may he rest in peace. But the article goes on to talk about other UFO incidents around Utah. But the point is that not only is something strange happening on Skinwalker Ranch, but all around the Uinta Basin. But shortly after this article came out, someone bought the ranch from the Sherman family. A hotel entrepreneur named Robert Bigelow. He paid the family $200,000 for their ranch. They gladly took the money and left. Bigelow decided to turn the ranch into a research facility to study the paranormal events. And so NIDS, or National Institute for Discovery Science, was created. Bigelow came in and turned the ranch into a research facility. He built a team of experts made up of engineers, psychologists, biologists, veterinarians, biochemists, and even physicists to figure out what is going on there. He brought in advanced technology and state-of-the-art equipment. He also locked down the ranch, hiring former military security guards to keep it protected from outsiders. The Ghost Diaries article explained it as, The tables were turning at Skinwalker Ranch. The hunters were now being hunted. And I love that. Almost every night, teams would walk around the ranch in pairs to investigate. They would even bring dogs, because it seemed like the Sherman's dogs were sensitive. With this team of experts coming in, they were able to try and debunk some theories at first. The veterinarian looked at some of the cattle bodies to try and see if there was a reason for their death, but they could not find one. Then a respected journalist named George Knapp joined the team. Very soon after joining and coming to the ranch, he had an experience with the orb lights. Basically, while two teams were doing their usual rounds, Knapp and his teammate saw a bright yellow orb of light shoot out from behind the ridge. It moved silently but swiftly, at the speed of a jet airplane. To their amazement, it circled in a perfect 360-degree loop before shooting back across the ridge. The Sherman family moved to a ranch about 25 miles away, but Terry continued to work at the ranch and kept his livestock there, where the NIDS could use them as bait for the paranormal activity, which is just amazing. But in January of 1997, activity on the ranch really escalated. More cows had been mutilated. Three calves were found with odd wounds on their eyes and ears. Two of the calves had circular spots cut out of their eyelids, while the third calf's ear had been shredded, as if cut with scissors. The veterinarian from NIDS came in and checked out the calves. The injuries were very strange because the day they were killed, there was a large snowstorm, and natural predators wouldn't normally hunt during weather conditions like that. But... About a month later, they found another calf dead, and this time it occurred during the day, but this one was different. When the NIDS team came out to investigate, they found the 85-pound dead calf was spayed out, nearly spread eagle. One leg was pulled out of the socket with too much strength for, for a normal predator, and the weirdest part was that the calf's organs were gone, without a trace, and The body had been drained of blood. The worst part was that while they were investigating, the mother of the calf was standing nearby. Her head was low to the ground and in a state of agony. The veterinarian believed that the mother had witnessed whatever happened to her baby. So this sounds very similar to the death of Snippy from the fourth episode of the podcast. Organs gone, and the blood drained. But the vet then noticed something that just made everything more confusing. One ear had been removed with surgical precision. There were no teeth marks or tears from where a predator could have taken it. Even more strange is that this was the ear that had the calf's tag. The tag identified that. It belonged to the ranch and who it was. The team searched the property but couldn't find the tag. They theorized whoever, or whatever was doing this was now taking souvenirs of their kills. Everyone was freaked out for sure, even the dogs. They would cower in their pens all day rather than greeting the team like normal. It seemed as if there was still a predator on the property ready to kill again. In the middle of the night, the team heard the dogs barking and even howling, which was abnormal for them. They couldn't see why they were barking in close proximity to the house, so they decided to drive around the property and also check on the cows. When they got to where the herd was, they found a single cow under a tree, obviously in distress. When the team started to go over and check on her, their flashlights caught eyes watching them. At first, they thought it must have been a mountain lion, so they shot where they saw the eyes. But when they fired the second shot, the eyes disappeared. So they started searching the area. Surely they would find tracks from this mountain lion. They eventually did find tracks in the snow, but they weren't cat prints. They were bird prints. And not just any bird, a massive bird of prey. The tracks were inches in diameter, with two sharp claw marks protruding from the rear. As they followed the tracks, they found another single print 12 feet away. And judging by the depth of the print, they estimated the animal to be large and heavy, unlike anything they had ever seen on the ranch. I just want everyone to remember that this is all within the years 1996 and 1997. That is how crazy this place is, and trust me, we aren't even close to done. I'm using the Ghost Diaries article because it is a very well-written and very thorough article, and we are only halfway through the article as of now. Anyway, things kept getting worse. April, 1997. Terry's four bulls had just disappeared one day, in daylight, just gone. And apparently, it is very hard to move a single bull, so four is just insane. Terry went searching for where they could have gone, hoping he wouldn't find them dead. The last place Terry checked was their small trailer used to transport the cattle. But the trailer was still locked with wires, wrapped tightly around the clasp. Even cobwebs were still on the door of the trailer. But inside, there were his four bulls, tightly packed. They looked like they were in some kind of hypnotic state because when Terry got to them and opened the doors, they seemed to wake up and were very agitated. Terry was baffled, because even loading one of them could have been very difficult. Even loading one of them would have been very difficult, and would have involved many people and a lot of planning. Plus, for them to do it silently seemed out of the question, It was just unbelievable that this could have happened, especially without anyone seeing it in daytime. The team of experts came out and brought equipment to investigate the trailer. They found that the corral they were in was reading very high on a magnetic scale. But there was no logical reason why the pen could have been magnetized, and over the course of 48 hours, the reading slowly came back to normal, which was zero. But then over the next couple of days, they would just find random spots that were picked up on the magnetic field detector. What they noticed was that the animals seemed to be affected by it as well. Higher readings correlated with the dogs and cows seeing something that the humans on the ranch couldn't see. Since they figured this out, they built new pens for the dogs, where the teams could monitor them easier. And almost immediately, padlocks would disappear, and gates would open of their own accord, with no explanation regarding how it happened. UFO and orb activity never ceased. It it actually grew more active and brazen. It would chase cattle around, and it seemed to threaten the humans whenever they would come outside to see what was happening. Then, the NIDS saw something that blew their minds. August, 1997, around 2.30am. There was a yellow light that manifested out of the darkness. It was a faint light, but bright enough to be seen. And since it was far away, a researcher used binoculars to get a better look. The yellow light became a tunnel of some sort. And from that tunnel, a human-like figure that was very large and pitch black appeared from the tunnel. It had no face. And as the figure exited the tunnel. It went away. The next day, they went to search the area for footprints or anything to support what they saw. But there was nothing there. Like, how crazy is that? And then the same month, a large number of orbs appeared at the same time, flying in erotic patterns around the ranch. Now, you're probably wondering why there isn't more photo evidence from the ranch, if there really is this much activity going on. And I asked the same question. Apparently, They did have cameras set up all around the ranch, but somehow they weren't able to capture activity on cameras. It was almost as if the things knew about the cameras, and they were able to get around them. Now, here is where the story starts to get a little thin, but it seems that the strange lights in the sky never stopped. But in 2004, the NIDS team was shut down and replaced with a new organization, B-A-A-S-S, or Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies. The reason for the shift is believed due to future possible government sponsors. Then the next year, Knapp and another member of the NIDS team, Colm Keller, came out with a book. The book is called Hunt for the Skinwalker. And this was when Skinwalker Ranch was introduced to the mass public. And then the media swarmed for a little, but the story didn't last long. This is when people like us learned about this crazy place, and an interest has never ceased. So in 2007, an unnamed defense intelligence agent requested to come to the ranch and investigate. Apparently, this agent had an encounter while on the ranch. The agent goes back and reports to his superiors, which is the reason for Senator Harry Reid from Nevada to give $22 million for the study of Skinwalker Ranch. There were different government-funded organizations that came in and out for the next five or six years. But then in 2017, a bombshell article appeared in the New York Times. The article said, A Department of Defense official confirms the government-funded program known as the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program. Senator Harry Reid confirmed his role in procuring funds which was awarded to Robert Bigelow and his Bigelow Advanced Space Studies team to study the phenomenon at Skinwalker Ranch. This is major. I mean, the article went on to talk about how they documented and observed unidentified crafts, and apparently have even collected exotic alloys and artifacts. What you should also know is that in 2016, Bigelow sold the ranch to Admentium Holdings for $4.5 million dollars. After this, the ranch was completely locked up. All roads leading to the ranch have been blocked, the perimeter secured and guarded by cameras and barbed wires and surrounded by signs that aim to prevent people from approaching the ranch. And then, in March of 2020, Brandon Fugel announced he was the owner of the ranch. Alright, everyone still with me? I know this is so much information and stories, but I hope you find them as interesting as I do. So, to outline the rest of the episode, I'm going to talk about the local town and strange occurrences there, creatures or entities seen on or near the ranch, and then we'll talk about some possible explanations on what people could be seeing. Now, let's start with the local town. Fort Duchesne, Utah is the closest town. It's a small town with a population of less than 800 people. Near this town, there is a reservoir that was built in 1970. It was built on the Indian Reservation and was accompanied by a premier resort. So this resort brought in revenue for the reservation, and it was known as an attractive oasis in the eastern Utah desert. The reservoir and the resort were named Bottle Hollow. It earned the nickname back in the 1800s because the area was where the drunken soldiers and the townspeople would throw their empty bottles. But the Ute people believe that something lives in the lake. Something to be feared. Several large aquatic snakes. The first sightings date back to when the reservoir was filled. The Ute people that still live on the reservation talk about seeing things crawling around the marina all the way down to the end of the reservoir. And the tribal police have had drowning cases that they have reason to believe are linked to these worms. The officers have a drowning case that involved a woman and her male friend that were swimming at night. The woman went under and started screaming that something was grabbing her and pulling her under the water. The male friend dove into the water and tried to pull her out, but he claimed to see a huge black snake. He eventually did pull her out of the water, but unfortunately she didn't make it. But that is not the only thing that has happened in the lake. Locals have reported strange lights entering and leaving the waters. One of those reports was that a bluish light was seen exiting the water and it vanished over Skinwalker Ridge. There was another strange occurrence that happened in the town. On February twelfth, two 2012, there was a major power outage in the town. The town reported seeing a strange eerie green glow, and with that, people claimed to see a UFO. Now, it is unclear what kind of UFO or any more specifics, but I thought it was worth mentioning. This is the town where my boyfriend and I camped. We actually camped right along Bottle Hollow. I didn't know about these stories, but I of course knew about Skinwalker Ranch. There's a strange feeling in the town. We originally were going to sit and watch the sky over the ranch to see if we saw any UFOs, but we felt so creeped out we had to distract ourselves. So we went to a drive-in movie. And when we came back, we went straight into the tent. I slept with an ax in my hands that night because of how the energy felt. It didn't help that there were some ex-convicts sleeping a space or two away, but I still couldn't shake the feeling in the air. The next morning, we drove as close as we could to the ranch and approached one of the entrances. It wasn't a crazy restricted gate, but there were signs that made it very clear they didn't want anyone on the ranch. No pictures, no drones, no nothing. And then we hightailed it out of that town. And when we got far enough away, I felt so much better. So I have no idea what is going on there, but I, I think it is much bigger than just aliens or cryptids. The ParCast original podcast, Supernatural, hosted by Ashley Flowers, put it best. In the episode, Flowers said, To understand it, you have to put aside everything you know about our universe. And I really think that sums it up perfectly. Now, let's talk about some of the different entities on the ranch. These are all coming from SkinwalkerRanch.org. So, we'll start with the UFOs. There is a spotlight, which is exactly how it sounds. A spotlight that looks like it might be on a motorcycle. It has been seen going anywhere from 10 to 40 miles per hour. The thing is that it was always hovering in the air around 8 feet high. There are some cases where it seems to be searching for something or someone, but other cases where the light shines directly on whoever is looking. There is apparently a 46% chance of seeing this unknown light, the most likely on this list. The next one is called the flashing drones. These are believed to be the orbs that are very commonly seen around the ranch. But these drones are pulsating spherical balls of lights. Some are blue, and some are a yellowish-green color. They are usually seen in multiples, and sometimes the area around the orb glows as well. Apparently, a characteristic feature is that they will pulsate their light intensity for a matter of seconds, growing extremely bright and then fading away to nothing, as if the object simply vanished. What is even crazier is that these lights have been seen to shift into other animal shapes and are suspected of having the ability to transmorph into the shape of a local living animal. So these are believed to either be transportation vehicles or surveillance because they seem intelligent. There's a 25% chance of seeing these. Then we have something they call controllers. These are the ones that sound like two adult males speaking to one another in an unknown language. They are usually invisible and are in the area in the air, about 20 feet high. The language has been said to sound similar to a Native American dialect. Those who have seen them claim they are human in appearance, but once they are spotted, they disappear. There's a 15% chance of hearing them and a 1.3% chance of seeing them. And the last one we will talk about is the glow birds. These look like a flock of red glowing birds. They never interact with anyone and they're always seen from a distance there's a 7% chance of seeing them. Alright, let's move on to the creatures seen on the ranch. Of course, we have the bullet-proof wolf, the one that the Sherman saw multiple times. Some believe it's a dire wolf, which we'll talk about more in possible explanations. Others believe it's a skinwalker formed as a wolf. Apparently, researchers have seen the wolf appear from an orb. But there is another cryptid seen that is very strange for sure. It is known as the Traveler, or the Dark One. So... This thing looks like a human being, but then sometimes is seen as translucent. It looks like a Native American Indian wearing traditional attire, but he seems to have two personalities. One is where he is seen as confused, unsure of how he has arrived in another time period. Apparently he will initiate communication with those who seek his audience by accepting their offerings on the property. But he is also seen to some wearing animal fur, He has also been seen changing into animal forms. Therefore, they believe this is the Skinwalker. He apparently can be channeled through the Ouija board as well. They have even gone as far to say that they believe he opened the first portal and somehow got stuck, or still has the ability to go back and forth. Either way, he is not one to mess with. That's for sure. You will have a 0.0% chance of seeing him in his darker form, but a 2% chance of seeing him in his lighter form. There are more entities on the ranch, and probably more that have not been identified yet, or released to the public, perhaps. I want to take this time to also mention that there are so many books, podcast episodes, and even television shows that the ranch is featured on including a new history channel tv series called The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch where they have a team on the ranch. I haven't seen the show and I didn't use it for my I didn't use it for my research. So not sure how it is, but it is cool that they are able to film on the ranch. Anyway, let's get into some theories. And I have to say that usually we have at least one theory that could be plausible, but with this I think everyone is at a loss for what this could be. So Let's start with the core of this legend, the skinwalker aspect. There is no doubt that the Navajo and Ute people weren't friends, but Louise Tisnagini, a spokesperson for the Navajo Nation Parks and Recreation Service, told a reporter that skinwalkers were not something that many Navajo will discuss, and when asked about skinwalkers on the ranch, she said, it is in within the realm of possibility. In times of great desperation or wrongdoing, the oral storytelling does point to such events occurring. Tissini went on to say that mythologically and within oral tradition, the Navajo do have stories about skinwalkers, and Skinwalker Ranch could fit into those narratives. She has heard of the ranch, but was unable to confirm with absolute certainty that such a curse was placed directly on the land. The same reporter went to another woman who might have been able to help. Betsy Shapus, the Cultural Rights and Protection Director of the Ute Tribe, explained that in her 30 years of working in tribal administration, she had never had anyone come in to her and talk about the ranch. She said people who live near the ranch have stories and even traditions when it comes to the Skinwalker legends, and she thinks those are something that should be respected— When she was asked about the alleged Navajo curse she laughed and said that is the first time I have ever heard that story. It's true that the Ute and the Navajo have had a strained relationship over land ownership but I've never heard any stories about a curse. So it's not a definite no but it seems like if there really was a skinwalker in the area someone from the tribe would have said something to someone Now I'm forgetting the source of this knowledge, but I remember hearing that some believe there is a possibility that there were some elders in the tribes that knew more about the land. Perhaps there is something so powerful there that only a very select few know about it. Now, in terms of UFOs and such, There are no military bases in the area. Hill Air Force Base, which is in Oregon, Utah, is about four hours northwest of the ranch. And Dugway Proving Ground Army Base is in Toole, Utah, is about four hours west. So, seems unlikely that what is happening on the ranch is part of a government experiment or anything like that. Plus, the government wouldn't pay to investigate what they already know, so I think it is fair to rule out this completely. Another theory was that there is some kind of hallucinogenic plant in the area, but that has never been proven, nor is it widely believed in. So, there is one more theory, but before we go there, I want to talk about the dire wolf for a second, because there is something quite interesting about them. First off, part of their name literally means terrible or dreadful, because of how incredibly brave and strong these wolves were. So, it was believed that they looked very similar to the wolves we know today, but they were much bigger usually around 150 pounds. They were strong creatures that were a top-tier predator during their times, during their prime. But what scientists are still wondering is, why did they die out around 13,000 years ago, after surviving for hundreds of millennia? And there still really isn't a clear answer to that, but a new article from National Geographic may help. An archaeologist named Angela Perry talks about how she traveled across the country multiple times trying to put together enough direwolf bone fossils to possibly get answers. Well, she found just enough to get some more answers. With her findings, she was able to clarify relationships among members of the dog family. What that means is the scientists can now say that the dire wolves are in a new world lineage that split from the gray wolf's ancestors some 5.5 million years ago. But what that doesn't do is clear up why they went extinct. The youngest sample she found was 12,000 years old, meaning that the dire wolf probably overlapped with gray wolves, coyotes, gray foxes, and perhaps early humans. Also, a fact that I didn't know is that although the dire wolf looks like a wolf on the outside, genetically, the species is very different from gray wolves. But the best guess that experts have is that Although they were top predators, the newer species came in and the direwolves were unable to outcompete the new species. But there's also the possibility of diseases that could have hurt them and maybe even climate change. Either way, the direwolf is long gone and it is very unlikely that there are still any alive, especially in places where humans live today. Now, this theory I am about to tell you is the most plausible theory that scientists have for what could be happening on Skinwalker Ranch. And you're going to be shocked. The best guess scientists have come up with is that there could possibly be a wormhole on the ranch. So, in theory, if a powerful enough energy surge occurs, it is possible for a tear in the space-time continuum, which would open a portal to another dimension. So yes, this sounds crazy, but... It does somewhat answer all of the strange events and creatures seen on the ranch. Those orbs that Terry could look through could have been part of this wormhole. Same with the researchers that saw that humanoid creature walk through a portal. And if this wormhole did connect our world to somewhere in the past, a direwolf could come through. And so could a giant bird of prey and a colorful exotic bird. I mean, the possibilities of where this wormhole connects is endless. But... It would make the most sense for it to be either someplace in the past, maybe a parallel universe, or maybe even a distant alien planet. The fact is that there is so much about physics that scientists still don't understand. So this is the best guess people have, for now. Utah is one of the most beautiful states in the U.S., and it could also be home to many different cryptids. So what do you think? Are the orbs, the skinwalkers, the direwolves, the wormholes, really out there? We are on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It is a great way for people to find the podcast and enjoy, just like you. One week from today, we will be covering cryptids from Wyoming and Nebraska. See you next week. This episode was written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo design by Jason Zykes and theme music from purpleplanet.com.